Once again, good morning. It's good to be with you. Glad to share this time with the White Oak family here. It's always a blessing for me to be able to share time with brothers and sisters that I'm not with on a weekly basis. Two weeks ago, I was in Jamaica and visited with a congregation there of people that I've known for a number of years and enjoyed that great fellowship. Two weeks before that, I was in on the coast in Alabama, a little congregation down there, a mission effort that we've been working in and, and joined with them and uh, the blessings of life. You know, sometimes we forget that we have so many brothers and sisters in Christ. My mind goes back, and I miss these times. I don't know that we'll ever have them again. But you remember training for service when we all got together, usually once a year in Chattanooga, and had a big time of lessons and study together. And some of the campaigns where they had the uh, down at the city auditorium, memorial auditorium, and the preaching there and gathering together. But just to know that we have so many brothers and sisters in Christ and get to join with them, uh, that is indeed a blessing. I was trying to help Brother Carl out a little bit earlier, and by the way, Brother, I appreciate your song leading and the prayer, beautiful prayer today. I was trying to help Brother Carl out, and he said he found that money. I told him, I was trying to describe it, and I said it was green, the money that I lost, and um, he said that wasn't enough of a description to be able to merit it. So um, if you did lose that, though, I hope and pray that you'll be able to let him know about it and be able to gain that back. But it's great blessing, a wonderful day. You know, getting a blessing or some kind of gift is uh, it, it, it's magnificent, and uh, the the idea of being able to to receive a gift uh, oftentimes uh, really should merit a, a response. Uh, sometimes uh, we find in our life that people bestow upon us a gift that we really weren't expecting, and and we don't know how to. To, to, to give them proper thanks and uh, proper gratitude to be able to show that uh, for the gifts that we give. But the Bible describes that and helps us to look at ways that when we look at not only the gifts that we receive from individuals, but more importantly, the gift that we receive from God, expressing love and joy and appreciation for what He has given to us. And I hope over the next few minutes as we look at a few passages of Scripture, it might open our hearts and minds to, to truly uh, 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 wanting to express more to the Lord for the blessed gifts that we have. Our text this morning begins in Psalms chapter 116, verses 12 through 15. That's Psalms 116, verses 12 through 15. What shall I render to the Lord for all of His benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and shall call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all of His people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. Now that last part of that passage there, many of us have heard it numerous times all through the years. But it's actually the earlier part of the passage that I want to share or something about today from the Word of God. It seems that in the psalm here it's being expressed, and let's go back one more time. What shall I render to the Lord for all of His benefits to me? Now, we could just close the books and sit down here, and we could go from person to person and just say, what do I give back to God for 
all that he's given to me. What could we list about what all God has given to us in this life? I believe that we could go on and on and on regarding to family and friends and, and, and uh, relationships that we're able to have and the measure of health that has come our way and, and, and just the story of our lives and getting to meet those that are in need and we share the gospel of Christ with. We could go on and on and on, but there's a question I think is very, very serious. What shall I render to the Lord? For all of his benefits to me, what shall I, what shall I give God back for everything he's given to me? Now, all of a sudden, we find ourselves in a deficit because there's no way in the world we could ever repay God for what he's done for us. There's no way in the world that we could do that. How is it possible for our minds to even comprehend giving back to God what as a response for what he has given to us. And so with that question kind of pushed aside, but also as a theme for our lesson today, uh, we want to move on a little bit and, and look at the passage that was here. It says, I will lift up the cup of my salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Now, we want to recognize there's some passages from the Old Testament that relate to the New Testament and passages in the New Testament that relate to the Old Testament. And sometimes it's just in passing, but it draws our mind to the point. As you would think about a Jewish person, someone who was an Israelite that was reading this passage, uh, maybe as written by David, and even later all the way up to the time of Christ. It seems there was a custom, and there indeed was a custom, a religious custom that the Israelites participated in. It was a rite, it was a ceremony, part of it being ordained of God that they would give response for what God had given to them. And it's almost like saying, and some people it can be used in, in at least a couple of different ways. Some have said it's like saying the cup of our salvation. How do we raise this cup of salvation or thanks or obligation to the Lord? Is that we do it uh, in a semblance of the Lord's Supper. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. Where we actually have uh, a cup of a type that we participate in. Uh, but it, it also could be in reference in a slight sense, going back to the um, sacrifices, the liquid sacrifices, the wine or other sacrifices that were given to the Lord in thanksgiving for what all he had given to them. But it's an expression of our thanksgiving to God. You know, when somebody says something good, uh, we like to give them accolades for what they have done. We want to say, Thank you. We think this is good. And we might even uh, uh, elaborate just a little bit on some of the good works that they've done. I had a brother this past week who taught a class in, on Wednesday night in a particular congregation. And somebody said he did a really good job. And so I sent him an email. I wasn't there. And I said, I heard that you did a wonderful job in your lesson. And I appreciate all the things you do so well. Now, what I was doing in one sense, I was offering up to him and an accolade of, of saying that, you know, I appreciate what you've done. Now, there's no way that I could show, show true appreciation for his service to the Lord and, and what he had done for God and what he had done for the people where he taught the lesson. But I was giving something that was in semblance of that. Now, in relationship to that, we can come into the Old Testament to what we today would call the Feast of the Passover, and we have recognition of it. 
Now, in the Jewish understanding today, that is called what is sometimes called the cedar feast. Now, somebody means, well, what is that? S-E-D-E-R. What is that cedar feast? Well, cedar just means order or obligation or right or ceremony. In other words, it's something that takes place in a particular way. If we go all the way back to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 6 and in verse 7, uh, 6 and 7, we, we read about how the Israelites were removed from that Egyptian bondage and all that took place there. And, and in verse 6, let's just read together for just a moment. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the bondage, excuse me, the burdens of Egyptians. And I will deliver thee from slavery to them. And I will redeem thee with an outreached, uh, outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you down from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Now, as we look at that passage, it, it, it was the instituting and beginning to think, uh, leading toward the time of, the, of the, the deliverance of the people. But there were four things that were mentioned there. Now, in what we call, or what the Jewish people would call today the cedar meal, or we would uh, refer to it as the Passover meal, they actually use four cups, four different cups to drink. Now, it doesn't mean that there's necessarily going to be four cups in a row, but they may fill the cups or drink four times. And this is what they relate to. We lay, uh, in Luke chapter 22, verses 17 through 20, you know, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, of course, uh, we follow the commandments of God. But in, in Luke, it refers to at least a second cup there, a taking of the cup that was taking place. And the, as they participated in this meal, they would use this cup uh, several different times. And then what they did was they would drink to or take a drink in reference to a blessing from God in this passage, Psalms 116, 12 through 15. For example, they would call, they have what they call the cup of sanctification, where it says, I will bring you from out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And at that point, they would take a sip of their drink. The second one would be the cup of deliverance. I will rescue you from their bondage, all coming from the former passage. Then they had the cup of redemption. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And then the fourth cup, the cup of praise, I will take you as my people. Now, we use this as an example today of the reference going back to the time. The writer is saying, David is saying, guided by the Holy Spirit, what shall I render to the Lord? How am I going to express to him what all he has done for me? If you look at the previous verses like that, David had been saved from his enemies and all the burdens that come from that. And he had great thanksgiving. But he would lift up the cup of salvation and he was going to call upon the name of the Lord. Now in a very similar fashion, if we go back to Matthew chapter 26 verses 27 through 29, we read about the Lord's Supper. Now, we all know that the Lord's Supper originated from the Passover feast as guided by Christ, and he has given us that reference there. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink you all of it, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I'll not drink of this fruit again of the vine until the day that I drink of it with you 
anew in my Father's kingdom. Now, as we look at it, we see the process of the Jewish mind. They understood the cup. It was this cup of blessing. You know, we've maybe had a lesson a few months ago in talking about the Lord's Supper. But in part, when we partake, we're remembering the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But that remembrance that we're doing in in that, when we remember the blood of Christ, what do we think about as far as what we owe Christ for what he has done? How do we pay him back? This cup of blessing that is there. Some believe that the reference is simply this, that one of the ways in which we express joy to the Lord for our salvation is that we continually accept His blessing, this cup of blessing. We continually accept His blessings and give Him praise. Now, it would seem strange, maybe, if somebody comes up and says, I want to give you something, and I, it's a gift beyond gifts, and you're going to participate in it, and you're going to have it for yourself, and, and now how are you going to show love and appreciation? Well, in one way is you continually accept what the Lord has given or what they have given. You make it a part of your life and you continually offer, or we continually offer, blessings to God, praise to God for all the many things that he has given to us and the blessings that he's brought into our life. In Psalms chapter 51, look at the words as we read together. Verses 11 and 12. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of my salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. The joy of my salvation. Now, brothers and sisters, there David is talking about how God has blessed him in the midst of him doing some terrible things. And he's asking and he's praying to God, I want to know the joy of my salvation again. If there's any here today who have been separated from Christ, have been away, have left the Lord after being with Him, have gone out into the world and then responded again, one of the things that we look for when that would happen is the joy, once again experiencing the joy of our salvation. In other words, I'm getting happy about it. I'm excited about it, about the joy of salvation. How do we express that? Now, it's this feeling. Have we gone so long sometimes as part of God's family that we've lost the joy, that we've lost the excitement, that we've lost what it means to, to be a part of God's family and to know that He's blessed us? Is there still that feeling within us, that joy that we express in our hearts and minds of what God has really given to us? David says to the Lord, Lord, I'm missing it. I don't have it anymore. And and the reason is because I've been separated from you because of my sin. He says, please restore to me the joy of my salvation. Number one, allow me to know that I'm right with you again. But not only that, Lord, let me know the confidence and the joy that I have together. I know some of you remember, if not all of you, the day that you were baptized into Christ. I don't know if you, I remember that very, very plainly. As a young man and being baptized that Sunday and walking out of the church building, we had to go across the street. My parents are going to visit a church member there who was sick, and we went across the street. And I can remember what was going through my mind. 
I haven't sinned yet. I haven't sinned yet. I haven't sinned yet. I've, I was just got baptized and I hadn't sinned at all. And I, I mean, I am pretty clean right now. I mean, I'm in the right place and I was feeling good because I was there and I, and, and the fact was, I'd never experienced that before, but because of knowing what sin did to the life of a person or, or could do and knowing the guilt that one felt not being in, in Christ, then when I was in Christ, I remember walking across that street and just feeling at this time, it doesn't get any better. And that really, that's a part of it, but it does get better as we get older and as we develop and learn that Christ has forgiven us of our sins. It's the joy. David asked here, how will I return that to you? How will I show you that joy that's in my life? I was thinking of a story this morning of a lady that I knew in uh, Cleveland, Tennessee years ago. Her name was Bonnie Heiberger. She worked for the Times here in Chattanooga for years. And uh, her husband, she was telling me the story of her husband, Glenn, who was at that time an elder in the congregation to East Side in Cleveland. And she says, I want to tell you the story about Glenn when he was baptized. He said the preacher had been talking to him and others had too, and they were in a meeting. And he said he had told me this morning, she says, he said that tonight he's going to be baptized. And she says, oh, I was excited. But she says, I watched him as he wore his old rubber boots, and he had a milk bucket in his hand, and he was going out to the barn to milk the cow. And she said, I've never seen him do it before, but he was swinging that milk bucket and he was skipping as he went along. Just the thought of him being in Christ, the thought of becoming a new creature in Christ, the thought of the joy of salvation. You know, if we've lost that, how in the world can we help others and attract them to Christ to know what joy it is that's there? Sometimes, you know, people who look at some of us in the church, uh, they look at us and say, man, I mean, you don't look happy. You don't look excited. You don't look like you're filled with joy. You're just kind of there. And I'm just kind of there anyway. So why would I want to look like that or feel like that? You see, by us asking the Lord, how in the world, Lord, can I share with you the joy of my salvation and work in that way? We're looking toward developing continually allowing the Lord to develop within our heart the fruits of the Spirit from Galatians 5 that help us be able to show to others the message of Jesus Christ. Titus chapter 2 verses 11 and 12 we'll read there about salvation. Notice this, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us, uh, one version says teaching us to renounce ungodliness, unworthily passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. The grace of God has come our way. For those of you here in the uh, First Assembly this morning or in the Bible study, we, as we looked at that, we looked at sin coming in because of Adam and that sin permeating all the people of the world. But we look at the grace of God that's come our way. And because of the actions of one and the gift that he gave through giving his own life, that is called grace was provided to us. But the grace of what took place, in other words, because of what Jesus has done and he did on that occasion, it provides for us a way of teaching us or training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live a self-controlled life. 
You see, one of the ways in which I express to, to the Lord this cup of salvation, the joy which I speak to Him about, is by living a godly life. And by living in such a way is to example in my life or illustrate in my life the grace of God working upon me. Brothers and sisters, there has to be a joy in the life of a Christian. Brothers and sisters, there, there has to be an expression of grace. People that are around us must be able to see the light. As we walk in the light, as He is in the light, and we're continually cleansed, we allow that light to be seen by others and the good works that come from it. How do we express to God this cup of salvation, our joy and appreciation for it. Well, we do it by living for Christ each and every day. Titus chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave us, or gave Himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous of good works. One of the ways that we express to God in return for what He has done for us is allowing Him to purify us. We are purified in part by uh, the fact of His saving grace and the, the price of the cross and the blood that was given. But we're also purified by His Word. And we read that as we walk in His way and live for Him, that that Word working within us, God's Spirit working within us in that Word, helps us to live in a way. And it's important to that. God wants to use us. But in order for us to be used in continual service and for us to be able to serve Him, we must be purified. We must be cleansed. I don't know about you, but when I've gone to the doctor, especially when I've gone under surgery, I'd like for them to use instruments that have been purified, you know, that have been cleansed. I was with a group over in Jamaica many years ago, and a young man fell and cut his hand. We took him to the hospital, and we waited outside sitting under a tree while we could hear a baby crying on the inside. The baby had been injured somehow, and we waited till that was taken care of, and we took our turn, and we went in. We walked in, and the nurse said, uh, looked at his hand, and it was, uh, uh, it was cut all the way through the muscle, but uh, they couldn't take care of that. But so what she did was she walked over to this steamer, and she says, now, we don't have any uh, anesthetic, but this is going to be purified. And, then she, and we don't have any anesthesia of any kind. We don't have anything to cut the pain. And she goes over and she reaches down and she pulls up a straight needle, about like something you'd operate, uh, do with car, uh, work on some carpet with. And she sewed that up. And do you know it never got infected? It never got anything wrong with it. The young man had to go home and after home have surgery so he could be able to use his hand again. But the fact was it was purified. Now we looked at it and thought, man, this is, this is, this is something that is, uh, it's going to be infected. There's going to be all these problems with it. But they knew what purification meant in regard to those instruments that were there. We also know what it means to be purified in the service of God. God wants to reach down and 
pick us up and use us. But he, he can't use contaminated material to do those kinds of things that he wants done. And so he, through his blood, continually cleanses us. And brothers and sisters, we have to allow that. We have to continually have our hearts and minds open to the fruit of the Spirit and living for Christ and, and the Word of God acting as a double-edged sword cutting asunder uh, within the things out of us that don't need to be there. And that's a part of the way in which we offer to God the joy of our salvation and express it to Him by allowing ourselves to be purified in that way. In the Old Testament, under the law, in Leviticus 25, we read of something that we call today Jubilee. Now, Jubilee, as you may, I'm sure many of you understand it was, it was a 50-year event. There was seven years, seven times seven is 49, and on the 50th year, there was an event that took place where all debts were settled and all of those who had debts against them that kept them imprisoned were set free. It's very interesting. We don't read anywhere in the Bible of that ever being practiced by the Jews, but we, we hope that it, that it was. But notice the passage. Uh, Leviticus, once again, 25, 9, and 10. Then you shall sound the trumpet, excuse me, you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement you shall sound the trumpet throughout all of your land and you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all of its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return his property and each of you shall return to his clan. Now think about it for just a moment. This was a part of God's system for protecting people. And he said, on a certain date, a certain occasion, the priests are going to stand up and they're going to take that ram's horn and they're going to blow it. And probably throughout Israel, you could hear the horn, ram's horn being blown, going out from different priests, letting the people know that it was the beginning of what was called Jubilee. Now, for all of those that were indentured servants and all of those that had sold their land that belonged to their property or that belonged to their family, and for all of those that had been displaced, this was a marvelous thing because all debts were settled and over. Now, I'm pretty sure there are a few of the Jews that never liked that too much because, you know, if you had a lot and, and that somebody owed you money, it, it all went away. But here was the point. There's supposed to be celebration when this takes place. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, as we talk to others and bring them to a point of repentance and where they can be free once again, uh, those either in the world, those that are in Christ and have fallen away, there needs to be a rejoicing. And if it cost us a price, if it cost us something to have to be able to bring someone else to Christ and bring them up, if it cost us time and effort and money, whatever it may be, there needs to be a time of rejoicing there because we're excited because salvation excites us. Our own salvation excites us. And the salvation of others should excite us also. And like when that old ram's horn was blown, and the people knew that there was a freedom which was there. 
we encourage us today to be involved in getting excited and joyous about those who come to Christ. Now, I've seen many occasions, brothers and sisters, people coming into the world, out of the world, coming in and either being rededicating their lives or even being baptized into Christ, and the congregation comes and everybody's happy. But the problem is sometimes we lose that joy of our salvation. We lost, in part, our first love. And the Lord is saying, what would you give to God for all that He's done for you? Brothers and sisters, that's a part of that as we give back to Him. In Acts chapter 8, verse 39, is an exciting passage there. You know the story of the Ethiopian eunuch when he came into Christ. And when they'd come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. He was like, Frank, he was like Glenn Highberger. He was skipping. Didn't have his milk bucket with him, but he was excited about it. He was going back to his home, and he was going back with something that he had found that excited him. Maybe the way we thank God for all he's done for us is being excited about it and never letting that excitement leave us, helping us to be able to live for him. Let's choose every morning when we get up to be excited about what God has already done for us. We look into the day and we say we don't know what it will bring, but if it brings nothing at all, we still can be excited because of what God has already done for us. As that Ethiopian man went back to his home country, he went excited because of what God had done for him. David said, Lord, bring back, bring back to me, if you will, bring back to me the joy of my salvation. And we sometimes as members of God's family, we might need to be praying that prayer that God will bring it back to us also. As a final thought, in Psalms 116 verse 5, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. Precious. When you think of that word precious, sometimes I think of little children looking at a little baby. That's precious. And let me tell you what, that is precious. Sometimes we may think of precious stones, diamonds and jewels of that type, things that are precious. But you know that word precious there carries a meaning that you and I don't normally see as we read the word precious. It carries the idea of costly. Precious in the sight of the Lord. Let me back that up. Costly. In the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. What is he saying? In fact, it's saying it costs God to bring us our salvation. It costs God, and we He has collateral placed in us. He is invested in us, and it's costly to Him. The fact of our salvation is costly to Him. It comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's not just a precious thing, but it costs the blood of Jesus Christ for us to die in the Lord and to be able to redeemed again. Maybe from now on when we read that passage and we say precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints, it's precious, but it's costly. It costs the blood of Jesus the Christ.
This morning, if you're not a member of God's family, we encourage you to come in obedience to His gospel and experience the joy, the excitement of being in Christ. If you're a part of God's family and have strong straight away, no greater excitement in all the world is there than returning to Him. Let us seek to do His will in all things. May we stand as we sing together.